Welcome to our podcast, Forgotten Victims, The Forensic Interview. Forensic interviewing traditionally has been associated with child victims. Over the past decade, there's been an evolution in the field of forensic interviewing where it's being applied to vulnerable victims of all ages, forgotten victims, victims with disabilities, mental health disorders, and older adult populations. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about data, because understanding the data can increase understanding regarding crimes against people with disabilities. And that's why we talk about this in our trainings all the time. We know that people with disabilities are at a higher risk for violent victimization, abuse, and neglect. And that's why victimization rates for people with disabilities um, is really the highest. We know that even for sexual assault, it's up to 10 times as high um, compared to people without disabilities. We also know that about half of the people with disabilities who are victims of sexual abuse experience 10 or more abusive incidents. And like most people who are um, abused, they are known by their abuser. So the victims and abusers know each other about 88 to 98 percent of the time. So we know that the that's the data. We talk about that, like I said, in yeah, our the training data, it's all not the good. time. The no, it's not good. good. It's it's terrifying, actually. So Scott, what what other data is out there that you think would be important for our listeners to know about? Yeah, Stacey. I mean, I think that's a good you know initial recap, sort of broad uh, capture of the data about this disproportionate victimization. But if we start to dig into the numbers and go into the Bureau of Justice Statistics, they've been keeping data on uh, victimization for people with disabilities for a pretty good time period. It was about a five-year window they were capturing this data. And we know that the violent victimization rate is about two and a half times that. So if you have a disability, you're two and a half times more likely to experience violent victimization. But you're more than three times likely to experience serious violent victimization. And Serious violent victimization includes rape and aggravated assault. So this is what we get. So if you look at it, you say, okay, if people, uh, if somebody has a disability, they're more than three times as likely to experience rape or aggravated assault. Differences between males and females, and certainly in your experience, in my experience, we see that females can be more at risk, and the data bears that out. We're going to have Double, more than double the overall rate of violence risk for males with disabilities, but rate of overall violence, including uh, not just rape and uh, aggravated assault, but all violence is triple for females compared to those individuals without disabilities. And what's interesting about this is not just you have these higher victimization rates and they're higher for females than males. If we look at other disability characteristics, we'll start seeing things like, well, those with one disability, like a single disability type, compared to those with multiple disability types, the risk goes up. In fact, for rape or sexual assault, for folks with multiple disabilities, the rate is double than compared to those for with, that have a single disability. So now we say, okay, the rate of victimization overall for people with disabilities is higher than those without, higher for females, even higher if you have a multiple disability type like intellectual disability and cerebral palsy or autism and intellectual disability, something like that. Across all disability groups, and I know, Stacy, in your experience, you've seen this as well, that folks with intellectual disabilities across all disability groups, across this entire reporting period, this six-year reporting period we have from 2009 to 2015, what we see is individuals with intellectual disabilities have the highest rate of violent victimization. So who is kind of, we, we start to put it all together and we say, who's most at risk here? 
well, females with intellectual disabilities who have a multiple disability type. And, uh, well, you could jump in here. Go ahead. Well, I, know I, well, I was just thinking about yeah, the, the disproportionate victimization and all the things that go into that. So it's not, you know, the, the numbers are certainly speaking for themselves, but we know that it's very nuanced and complicated. And there's lots that goes into the increased vulnerabilities that ultimately lead to the increase in the numbers and the statistics that we're seeing consistently, um, you know, from this report and then also just in reports in general. Of course. And, and the thing is, is this nuance, right? So not everyone with a disability is at like this greater risk, right? So it's like these statistically. But what's interesting is if we look at, and, and definitely have seen this in, in my practice, and I know you've seen it in yours, we know that some offenders specifically are gonna seek out individuals with disabilities because they perceive them to be vulnerable. And what the data shows is that the risk of victimization is really increased if they believe the victim is not gonna be able to tell anybody. So we're talking about people maybe who don't speak or are limited in their ability to communicate vocally with someone, they're gonna be sought out. And we have pretty good data that says the nature of the individual's disability may prevent them from defending themselves, escaping from an abusive situation, or reporting the abuse. This then in turn says to our perpetrators that, hey, I can get away with it. If, if somebody, if you can't report what happened or somebody's not gonna believe you, then I have a better chance of, of getting away with it. So now we say, okay, who among this already high-risk population is most at risk? And we're gonna say, well, people who don't speak, who have an intellectual disability, female, um, they're gonna be most at risk. Well, and I think the risk also comes in, and that's why we do the trainings that we do so often with how do we listen to victims who maybe don't speak um, you know, many words or use signs or gestures to communicate. Because if we know that offenders are seeking out victims that might not be able to report, what tools do we have where we could listen to what folks have to say and give them that opportunity to be able to report their victimization to us? Because that's what, you know, we notice when we're doing trainings is people are like, okay, but how do we do that though? How sure. do we get that information? And how can we do something about it if the person can't speak? And that's where I think trainings, you know, really come in. And we know that there are cases out there where we've been successful in gathering that information from folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it makes me think of a, a case recently. Somebody contacted me, and they had come to one of our trainings. It was a forensic interviewer. They were part of an investigation of uh, a young woman with cerebral palsy who didn't speak. She used gestures, yes, no gestures, and she had taken one of our trainings and uh, called me and said, hey, can you you know, prep me for this uh, interview that I'm going to do? I remember a lot of the training, but I want to go through it, and you know, we went through it. And so basically the allegation was mom walked in and saw uncle in some compromising position with her daughter, with this young girl with cerebral palsy. Wasn't sure what she saw, but she called it in. And so she's getting ready to conduct this forensic interview on this young girl with cerebral palsy using the sort of yes, no uh, protocol we have. So I prep her for it. She goes, she does it. She gets a uh, full disclosure using using the protocol. DA signs off on it. They go and they, they arrest him. Um, fast forward a few years later, uh, he was sentenced to, I think it was about 20 years. Um, and what really strikes me about that is, is how the, this person, not 
you know, not only it's not just about taking the training, but really had that, that, that confidence to conduct the interview and, and all the folks involved in the multidisciplinary team to push this forward. Cause these are tough cases to push this forward. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's what sometimes stops people from, you know, wondering about what is the next step? How yeah. can I proceed? So really taking those steps and working together as a team is important. Yeah. And absent that this perpetrator is still out there molesting this young girl with cerebral palsy or, or other girls. And fortunately he's not. So that that's, that's why we, we do this. And we'll probably say that a couple of times because we know that underreporting is a problem like child abuse, domestic violence, elder abuse. It's a problem all over the place, but in, in disability abuse, it's, it's definitely a problem. The research supports it. Very few of these cases involving people with disabilities are reported. Uh, most go underreported. Some studies say up to about 70%. And then even if they are reported, again, these are tough cases. It's not because people don't care. It's not because DAs or law enforcement or, or you know, uh, social service agencies don't care. Th these can be difficult cases. So, you know, we don't have a lot of prosecution. And when we put it all into context, we have higher rates of victimization. It's not reported as much, so it might be higher. We don't prosecute as much. And when we do prosecute, we don't have a 100% conviction rate, unfortunately. Uh, and so what's the consequence then for people committing crimes against individuals with disabilities? Not much. Yeah, yeah, they get to do it again. Right. And, you know, so that's, that's kind of why we do what we do. Yeah, and I, I think that what you said right before this, Scott, was really important. It's people do care, and we know that multidisciplinary teams care, and members really want to come together and come up with solutions. It, it's impossible not to care for these victims, right? Absolutely, because that's you know why we do what we do, all of us together. And I think that's what what makes you know what makes a difference is people stepping up and saying, "Yep, we can do something about it. Let's work together and figure that out." Yeah, and at the risk of depressing everybody about the the data, uh, hopefully this this. Uh, brief podcast was, is useful for you, but it's important that we know what the data says so that we can take action to stop it from happening. All right. Thanks, Scott. And thanks for listening. To learn more about the work being done by Modell Consulting Group, visit our website, modellconsultinggroup.com, or follow us on social media.